All right, let's play a little game. I'm going to tell you the symptoms. And I know we have some medical people in the house, and they'll be like, oh, this is great. This is like work. I'll tell you the symptoms. You tell me what it is. We've all seen House, right? Okay. It's, it's a good show. Uh, it affects 70 million Americans per year. What? Depression. That's a good guess. Uh, no. The condition costs, it's a $70 billion industry. No. Come on, watch the house. 64% of teens blame it for poor school performance. I blame my school performance just on me being bad at school. 64. Oh, we're getting there. It is sleep deprivation. Oh, researchers say that the most severe cases occur between the ages of 30 and 40. Uh, even though the study also suggests that 50% of people who are between the ages of 65 and older also suffer from it. Treatments involve everything from mouth guards to teas to medications, and you've guessed it, it's sleep deprivation. It's not chemical abuse. It's not divorce. It's not long-winded, boring pastors that cut their arm somewhere in the lobby. It's not that. Uh, It's insomnia. And specifically, it's the lack of rest that we all have on a very daily basis. How many of you walk in here a little tired? Yes. Well, it's because you were up all night watching football games. I mean, you did it to yourself. Enjoy the Red Bull. Uh, And then you were up early watching one this morning, probably. Yeah, Yeah, you know, whatever. We're weary, we're tired, we're worried, and because of that, we are most likely, and most of us, awake. And we wonder why, no matter what we do, we find ourselves as if we're at like the, the baggage carousel at the airport picking up this big, heavy bag of exhaustion. I experienced this. This last week was one of the most exhausting weeks I've had for some reason, maybe because, hey, we're talking about exhaustion. Why, don't, why not make Brad tired? This is why we don't talk about Job often. <laughs> NyQuil, melatonin, uh, closing my eyes to pray. Uh, sometimes those work. Most of the times they don't. Uh, and for reasons in life, you know, the busy times in our lives, the walls seem to be climbing down on us or collapsing down on us, and we seem to be climbing the walls more like it. But then we have this sick culture where we celebrate being busy. It's almost as if it's a sign of, of importance. We like to brag that our calendars are filled months in advance. Try to schedule something. I'll see you in three weeks. Maybe I could squeeze you in for an hour. That's how we go. And we like to have something planned every night. We don't do well with stillness. Our culture will praise people like Thomas Edison, who bragged about, how am I doing? He bragged about not sleeping Uh, more than 15 minutes, as if he didn't need any more sleep than 15 minutes a night. And we go, wow, that is cool. We need that. And then we forget Albert Einstein slept 11 hours a night. That sounds better, right? Who was smarter? I don't know. In 1910, Americans slept an average of nine hours a night. I'm thrilled when I look over and see I got five. What's your number? Two, three, Five, 15 minutes. Our minds are tired, our bodies are tired, our souls are tired, and yet we won't do anything about it. Instead, we'll complain about how busy we are, we'll, we'll complain that we're so tired, and we'll find ourselves worried, and then we wonder why the world is closing in on us, and then we won't do a thing about it. Why? It's because we're addicted to this thing of constant motion. We're addicted to having no rest. 
everything seems to crash down on you when you're tired. You know, we'll all look at a little kid running around and has, having a meltdown, and we'll go, ah, oh, he's just tired, needs a nap. But we won't do the same thing with us. I'll say that we said this to my kids on Friday, and, 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 and I looked at him and went, you guys need a nap. So did I. But we won't rest. The idea of finding a rhythm of rest seems like a pie-in-the-sky thinking, a vacation that you'll never be allowed to take. Time to pause. Are you kidding me? Have you seen all the stuff I have to do and you expect me to stop and rest? How am I going to answer all of the questions that flood my brain every time I lay down if I don't stay awake? Will everything be okay? Will everything that I have to do get done? Will I have enough time to figure it out? Well, if I go to sleep, no. Because I have to figure this out and I have to stay awake. Do you know there's only one living animal that has a worse sleep pattern or trouble sleeping than us? Birds sleep, in case you didn't know this, I like birds. Uh, they sleep and they, turn, they have the ability to turn off half their brain. So they're always looking, that's why you hear them chirping. Half of their brain is asleep at a time. Bird-brained, right? Cats sleep all the time when they're not looking around trying to kill you. Cats will sleep. Dogs find any place that's sunny and warm and plop down. That's what dogs do. The only other animal that has a hard time sleeping than us is a sheep. A little sheep. They have difficult sleeping. For them, the, everything has to be perfect. Everything in their environment has to be perfect. No tension within the flock. No, uh, no predators. No, nothing lurking out there that might get them. No bugs. No hunger. They have to be filled up and nice and, and comfy in order for them to sleep. And they have to have a shepherd around them to tell them it's okay to go to sleep. It sounds like us. We have predators, we have tension, and maybe we don't have a lot of bugs in our lives, but we have people that bug us, right? I might be one of them. Nice to meet you again. Yet, like the sheep, you and I also have a shepherd. And David spends the 23rd Psalm, if you were to flip it, it's the most popular Psalm in the world. Uh, David spends the 23rd Psalm bragging about how good his shepherd is. He says this in verse 2 of Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles, open it up. It's right in the middle. Uh, 23 comes after 22. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now let's be curious here. Let's ask questions. Who's doing the work in this, in this section? The shepherd. And what's the shepherd do? He makes me. He leads me. He's the one doing the work. The whole 112 words in Psalm 23 describe the very first two. The Lord is the very first two. In our language, it's just two words. In their language, it's Yahweh. Just one. The rest of them describe everything that Yahweh does for us. Who are we in Psalm 23? Sheep. Sleepless. Let's be honest. Most of the time we're dumb. Animals. Who are tired and needing some rest. And what's the shepherd want us to do? Take a nap. Sit down. Slow down. He knows us well, and he knows at times when we feel that the world is coming down on us, he knows what we have to get done. He knows our schedule. He knows the best thing that we need at that time is not another thing. The best thing that we need is rest. 
One of my favorite stories in the, in the book of Kings, and I like the book of Kings. I've been reading through the story of Elijah and Elisha, two different people, and they're fascinating folks. There's a story in 1 Kings 19. It's incredible. Elijah, with the J, goes up and he has this epic battle between the gods of Baal and, and, and him. He's the, God, he's the prophet of Yahweh and he's battling the prophets of Baal. And it's trash talking to its best. If you want to read it, it's 1 Kings 19. And he says, uh, put more water on your altar. Do this, do that. Is your God sleeping? At one point he suggests maybe your God is busy in the bathroom. And, and, and he, that's why he's not answering your call. And then he has this epic victory. He calls down fire on his altar while everybody else on Baal is trying to get Baal to move in their altar. And Yahweh, our God, destroys the altar with fire. And all of a sudden, Elijah's on the run. It starts to rain, which is the, the impetus that pushed this to this point. And now Jezebel, who is in charge of the prophets of Baal, says, I'm going to kill you. This is Brad's translation. And Elijah goes, I'm going to take off. And so for three days, he ran. You would too. We'd like to get mad at Elijah for running, but you would too if Jezebel said she was going to kill you. And then he goes to this Mount Horeb. And when he's there, the first thing that he does is he falls asleep. And if you look at 1 Kings 19 and in, in 4, he came to a broom bush and he sat underneath that and prayed. He wished that he would die. He had enough, Lord, he says. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under a bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some uh, baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate, he drank, and he slept again. And this happened a couple times in the story. He's tired. He's hungry. He's afraid. He doesn't need to go back out and do more work. He doesn't need to go back out and do more profit job. He needs a nap and he needs a snack. And the angel of God, which is another way of saying God himself, comes down and says, eat this, take a rest. Even Elijah needed to sleep. Remember those Snickers commercials? And I don't know if you've seen them now, but like the people, like the little guy turns into Danny DeVito and he's cranky and acting like Danny DeVito or, or an angry Robert De Niro. And then he has a Snicker bar and then he's like, ah. Oh, better. And then he's back to who he was. And the whole thing was like, you're not yourself when you're hungry and tired. You're not yourself. Elijah wasn't himself. He's wishing for himself to die. Yet God says, I'm going to meet you there in your most busy part of your life. And I'm going to show you what you need the most. You need rest. All 500 prophets of Baal were dealt with. Uh, Did Elijah do anything to get that fire going? No. God did all the work. They were dealt with, and now God is bringing him meals and encouraging him to sleep. One of my favorite authors does this about rest. He, he has you turn to the back pages of one of his books, and there's a blank one. And he'll, have, he'll say, now what do you see? And you're supposed to go back and forth. I didn't do that, but eventually I did. And so you go to the back page, and you see a blank page. And then you flip back to page 45, and you're like, okay, now what? And then he has you go back to it and put a, a little tiny dot right in the middle of the blank page. And then he he flipped back and he goes, now go back to that page and what do you see? I see a little dot. I don't see a blank page anymore. This is kind of what Elijah's going through, right? He has the peace of God all around him, but all he wants to focus on is the problem. And that problem is keeping him awake and keeping him from rest. He has the inability to see that God has taken care of everything. 
All we see in our world is everything that is going wrong, and we neglect to see that our God is the one who's encouraging us to rest. We let the impossible to do or the possible to fulfill to do list steal our joy and steal our rest. And we change our focus when it should be on the shepherd and we look to everything that we have to do and we fail to relax. King David wrote about this with the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Elijah experienced it. And then we turn to the Gospels and we see that Jesus models it. If you have your Bible still with you, go over to the book of Mark. When you're in Mark, Mark is the caffeinated Gospel, so to speak. Uh, Everything in Mark is suddenly. Uh, and, And he was here, and then suddenly he was there, and then he did this, and then he went over to this place and this place. And Mark drinks the caffeine, writes it, we get the jitters. That's what's happening in the book of Mark. But there's some things that we can notice about the way Jesus works in Mark. In chapter 1, we're given insight to how Jesus' day went, and or just a typical day. And I think we can get some insights on what Jesus does. So if you look at verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, so it was a Sabbath day, they went to the house of James and John. They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her like he does, took her hand and and helped her up. The fever left and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, people brought Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed so many people who had various diseases. He drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because the demons knew who he was. We could say just by looking at this that Jesus had a full day. He's healed Simon's mom. The word got out. People knew that Jesus was around. Mark says after sunset, the people were still coming. So we can almost imagine this. It's past closing time. It's past work hours. It's 5 p.m. if you're on the 9 to 5 clock. It's after you're supposed to be going home. And yet people were still coming. Not just everyone, but everyone in the whole town. Probably people coming from outside of the town. Jesus is within walking distance. We're coming. We're going to see him. It's one of those nights where the work never seems to stop. Everyone's looking, at you, everyone's looking at you for answers. The email thing is buzzing from people in different time zones, and you don't know when to stop, and you can't stop. And Jesus is experiencing this. He's, he's healing people. Leprosy, demons, common cold. Uh, Mark says various diseases. So we have no idea what various diseases. This dude has a grow up. This dude's arms bleeding. Let's heal him. Various things. They just kept coming and coming, and he just kept healing and we know what that day is there's a scene in in the the tv show the chosen i don't know if any of you've watched it i encourage it it's pretty awesome where the the it depicts this scene and jesus is healing and then jesus comes back after this is done and everyone's like what are you doing and he collapses in his tent the work didn't seem to end the phone call was chased with an email this person knew this person they needed to be healed and all of a sudden Life is happening and Jesus is busy. You know the feeling, right? Uh, the text message leads to a phone call, which leads to another phone call, leads to one of those Zoom, annoying Zoom meetings, which happens at the same time that someone spills water or milk or soda or wine because you're on Zooms often, you need some wine to get through it. 
And then in the middle of that, you have a diaper malfunction. Maybe not yours, but your child's. Followed by a, he stole my Lego and I want to play with this. And then the faucet breaks. And then you miss another call. And then you get another thing that says the tire blew on the car and can you come and get me? And it's usually within about an hour, right? This was happening. It never ends. And you might hear that and go, oh yeah, that's Tuesday. Just a normal Tuesday. At the same time, Jesus experienced this, and and Jesus, being the good shepherd, knows what it's like when the walls are coming down on him. And watch what he does in verse uh, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place when he prayed. It's an interesting timestamp. A few verses earlier, we see that it's after hours, and he's working well after the sunset. We don't know how late he went. We can assume that he went until he couldn't go anymore and collapsed down. And then he got up early. Jesus knows what it's like to pull an all-nighter. But that little timestamp tells us something. There was a point when Jesus was healing people where he had to stop. He had to stop working. At some point, he had to say the words, that's good enough for now. I'll get to the rest later. That's enough. I can, I can stop. Was everything okay? No. Did he heal everyone in the town? Likely not. And there were probably more on their way. And he still stopped. There was a lot left undone. And he slept or he collapsed and he went to bed. And he was doing this because he knew something about himself. Jesus had limits. And he knew he had limits. Can you admit to me this morning that you have limits? Do you have limits? Yes, we all have limits. And right now, my hunch is we're entering one of the busiest times of the year. Family's starting to come to town. Schedules are getting picked. And you're at the red line of your limits and you can't take any more. Trips are being planned. Everything is happening. So if Jesus had limits and he operated by his limits, what makes us think that we don't? Why do we keep scheduling things? I think it's our pride as I was thinking about this, it's our pride. We have a pride problem with how busy we are. We like to brag about how much we can do in a 24-hour period of time. And so we cram it all in until we crash. We also have this thing where we have FOMO. I learned that phrase a while ago. We're fearing of missing out on something awesome. And so we'll say yes to everything. And then we'll commit to nothing. Because we're not sure if there's a better thing that comes along that we want to go to instead of that. And so we'll say yes and then be noncommittal until we actually feel like what we want to do is there and it's the best option. And then we'll commit to it. And then now we're not really there because we have all these other things that we were promised to go to. Or we can only be here for 10 minutes and then we have to go to this thing for 10 minutes. And then we have to catch this thing for 10 minutes. And then we're scattered everywhere. You and I were not meant to go that fast all the time. But we try. And if Jesus could have limits, if Elijah had limits, if David understood his limits and he was the king of a nation, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to take a break. If the God of the universe can take a break from healing people, you can take a break from yourself as well. Mark keeps going and he keeps showing us that Jesus didn't allow other people's pressure to pressure him. And in verse 36, that morning they came looking for him. Simon and his companions went to look for him. In verse 37, they found him and they said, teacher, everyone is looking for you. We have stuff to do. And you can hear the panic in their voice. 
everyone is counting on you to be there. What are you doing here all by yourself resting? Why are you doing this? They did this another time. Remember that time they were in the back of the boat? And the storm was going on and they're being tossed. They thought they were going to die. And then they look to see where Jesus is and he's laying down sleeping in the back of the boat. Same kind of words. What are you doing? Do you not care? Sometimes the biggest threat to our rest is other people's impressions. We don't want to take a break because we're afraid of what people might think about us. We wrap our worth in other people's perspectives. We tend to allow other people to dictate our, our pace. We want to be valuable. We want to be important. We want to be counted upon. And so in order to prove ourselves to these very important people we, that we want to impress, we'll keep going because we want the promotion. We want the position. We want the prestige. And I couldn't think of another P word to keep going, but you got three of them right there. So congratulations. We want that. But at what cost? I won't let, you can't let people dictate the pace of your life to you. I I once ran a a couple marathons, and it was ridiculous that I did that, but I did it. And there's this thing that we we ran with a team, and the coach would say, "On, on your marathon day, the first mile, run your race, run your pace. Because here's the temptation. Everyone's got adrenaline, right? And they're all trying to keep up with those guys that were in the, in the women who were up in the front running like 30 miles an hour, right? That's how fast they seem to be going. But you want to win, and there's no way you can win unless you do that every day. And so the temptation was keep up. And then you get three miles in, and your adrenaline's gone, and you're exhausted, and you've got 23 more miles to do this. And the advice was don't let other people control your pace. Run your race. Run at your, t- run at your speed. I feel that in our culture, we have a lack of rest because we let everybody else dictate how fast we're going. And left to our own devices, we'll go until we can't go anymore. And God knows this, and he knows us better than we know of ourselves. And so he knows that we can let our lives get away from us. He knows that we can let other people tell us how fast we go. And so he makes this big deal about Sabbath. In the Ten Commandments, he has this command about the Sabbath, and this is the fun part. What's the longest command in the Ten Commandments? Sabbath. The big ones that we look at, like we think murder, steal, adultery, uh, whatever else, no more graven images, we think of all that, and we think, yeah, those are pretty important. They get one sentence, and in the language, sometimes they just get a phrase. Don't do this. Sabbath gets sentences. It gets three of them. Let's read them. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor from all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. He knows us. He knows you. And he knows that we'll look at this command and think, hey, if we could find some wiggle room around this so I can still get some work done while I'm resting, it'll be great. But he says, no, 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 no. Not you, not your employees, not even your animals. Animals get a break. And not, not your workers, not your servants, not the foreigner in the town. Everyone takes a break. And you can see God when he's doing the commandments up there with Moses saying, I'm going to tie up this loophole and I'm going to tie up this loophole. And then he repeats himself in Leviticus, and he goes, Sabbath is so important to me. In Leviticus 23, he goes, 
you take a Sabbath or you're going to die. I'll end you because you're going to end up ending yourself. It's an important thing that God says to us. We need to take a break. So we find ways to object. What about this? What about this? And God silences all of them by saying that. He goes, hey, look, you think you're busy. Verse 11. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them. And then he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Sabbath day is holy. And this is one of the fun parts. Nothing in the scriptures, uh, nothing like this is ever called holy. We have holy places. We have holy people. We have holy buildings. We'll have a holy fire. But here, time is holy. So what's it say about our rest time? That time where you and I get to take a break is not just wasted time where we look at it and go, I got 10 minutes to spare. No, that's a holy time. Time and space is holy. God's message to us, if the world didn't fall apart when he took a break, then yours isn't going to fall apart when you take yours. You have limits. They're there for us so we don't hurt ourselves, so we don't hear the people around us. And those limits aren't signs of weakness. Those limits are signs of holiness. It's a holy time. You can and you should only do so much. Jesus models for us the ability to pull back. Jesus models for us the ability to say no. Jesus says we can still take care of ourselves. We don't always have to be on the move. We don't always have to be on everyone's beck and call. No is a perfectly acceptable answer. You don't have to explain it. No. I'm going to take a break. Some of us ask ourselves, why are we constantly on the go? Who are we trying to impress? And this might be something to ask you. What are we so afraid of that we begin to trade our own well-being to keep up with other people's demands? If Jesus could do it, and he's the savior of the world, and he can decline a very important work, why are we so pressured to not? Spurgeon says this, a bow can't always bend without fear of breaking. A uh, field, in order to bear fruit, needs to lie fallow from time to time. And for us to be healthy, we must permit ourselves to rest. We have to slow down. In that, God will heal your spirit. He'll restore your body and save your soul. Psalm 23, 2 says, He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. David was a shepherd before he was a king. Then he was a good shepherd. And there was this thing about pastures and, and taking sheep there. In the place where he lived, green pastures with flowing waters didn't come naturally. It wasn't like you can go up here off I-90 and find a stream. That's not how it worked. If you found one of those, it meant that somebody took the time to cultivate it. They irrigated it. They planted the grass. They brought the waters through. They cleared all the rocks and the thorns away so you can lay down in it. Uh, they, they made it so that you could rest. The sheep didn't do it. Who did? The shepherd. The shepherd did all the work. So when David says, he makes me do this, he says, God's done all the work that we can uh, worry about. Our job in this holy time, in this holy space, is to sit down and rest in it. The rest, the pasture, is God's gift to us. In it, we are reminded of the mercy of the places where we fall short. There, we are reminded of God's grace, that we cannot earn this, that we can't say, I made this happen. No, God made it happen. 
we are also reminded that we have a purpose which we can't invent. That's what happened with Jesus. He's pulling away. And it allowed him the time to refocus on what he was supposed to do. And have you ever had that where you take a break, you finally stop, you breathe, you catch your breath, and then you go, what am I doing this for? And that only happens is when you pull out of whatever you're doing and actually stop and think. And that time of rest refocuses you on what you're supposed to be doing. Jesus did this in Mark 138. So they come out to him and they say, what are you doing? And Jesus' reply wasn't, oh, no, let's get back to work. Nope. He says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I came. That's why I'm here. Have you ever been in such a hurry where you forget things? Uh, Friday, I had the boys all to myself, and, and it reminds me of how much work Carrie does throughout the week. And so I had them, and uh, we were going to go to, we had some errands. We had to go to Walmart to get a jacket, Goodwill to look and see if they had jackets for cheaper. And then I had to keep them alive, and I'm not used to doing this. And so I, I get them all in the car, and I'm like, okay, great. You're all, you could, okay. I, I turned the car on so they have ventilation, and then I remembered, oh, no, I forgot my phone. I always forget my phone. It's either my phone or my wallet. And so I, I run, I get the key, I roll down the windows because I'm afraid that something bad's going to happen. They're just in the driveway. And so I, I, I run and I unlock the door and I go upstairs and I can't find, I have a small wallet. Uh, maybe I should get a bigger one. And, and then I'm looking for it and I'm looking for my phone and I don't know where it's at and I'm tearing everything apart. Finally, I find them and I go back out to the car and I sit in it and I'm like, where are my keys? Where'd they go? And Judah's laughing at me. He knows what's happening. Caleb doesn't know what's happening. He's just mad he can't find his teddy bear. And so I start to retrace my steps. I can't find them anywhere. They're not in the garage. They're not where my wallet was. They're not where my phone was charging. I look again and I go back and then I go to the door and there they are. Hanging in the doorknob. Waiting for me. Have you ever been so busy where you start losing your mind? You start thinking, oh, that's where, and it's usually the place where you lost your mind. I lost mine at the front door. That happens a lot. Our frantic pace distracts us from what we're supposed to do, and we end up forgetting the simplest things like your keys in the door, your wallet on the counter, and then we lose our perspective of everything because we're not sure what to do that's in front of us. You ever get so busy and you wonder why you're doing what you're doing? Jesus had to take a break. This is what's happened. And he was so wrapped up in the good work that he was doing that he needed to be reminded of the excellent work that he was sent to do. There's more to do elsewhere. That's why he came. Do you see that the rest allowed him to refocus? Oftentimes, that's what our rest does. It gives us the energy so we can refocus on what we're supposed to be doing. I don't know about you, but these last three months, we've last three years, three months, three weeks, three days, right? We've had a lot come at us. Our lives have been so filled with chaos and pressure that I feel that both the church as an organization and the people that were, are within it, we've been chasing and sucked away by everything that's come our, down, our, down the path. We've been distracted of what we're supposed to do. We've been so hurried in our lives because that's what we've been told to do, that we've grabbed onto any ideological stance that we can hold onto. We've, we've adopted social agendas that don't match what the authority of Scripture tells us to do because we're in such a hurry that we'll just grab onto anything that looks important because that's what we're supposed to do. 
then, in the middle of our scurrying around, we've accepted philosophies and positions that don't, re- don't reflect God's best. In our knee-jerk reactions, we put into practice habits that have nothing to do with what Jesus tells us to do. In our hurry, we've sprinted down the wrong direction, and we've lost the plot and the point of what we're supposed to be doing anyways. We're lost. And it's not that we need a new agenda. It's not that we need a new vision. Perhaps what we really need is a time to catch our breath and say, okay, why are we here in the first place? What are we supposed to be doing? Time to refocus. Jesus shows me, and perhaps you too, that just because the world is going 100 miles an hour doesn't mean that you and I have to match them. Perhaps slowing down will bring you the clarity and insight that we all desire. In the book of Exodus, it always goes back to Exodus, so we'll go there again. Uh, The people of Israel were moving around all the way through the desert, and there were times where they moved for days, and the cloud moved. They were led by a cloud of fire at night and and a normal cloud in the daytime, and they would pick up and go as the cloud goes, and they would have to keep up. But they couldn't always keep up with it, and so God knows his people, and he says, you know what? We're gonna camp here. Sometimes they camped overnight. Sometimes they camped for years. You can't always be on the go, is what God is telling these people. Sometimes you have to stop and remember who's leading you. When we remember who's leading us, remember that we have a shepherd. We won't be carried off at the speed of the world in order to fit in with whatever's going on around us. Jesus shows us that there's a different narrative that you and I are supposed to operate under a different narrative that we're supposed to understand. And he needed to pull out of what he was doing in order to find himself back in the calling that God had for him. God had a bigger story than what he was doing at Simon's house. And God has a bigger story for you than what you're trying to keep up with. Perhaps you've been running this whole time trying to keep up with what everybody else is doing. And you've begun to realize that this isn't working. You're tired. And if I talk softer and slower for any longer, you're going to fall asleep, which is probably a good thing. Perhaps that's what you need most. We need to go back to this idea of what David discovered in his hurried, frantic pace where he's being chased by Saul with a spear trying to kill him, going from cave to cave. And when he sits down and etches this, the Lord is my shepherd and I can take a nap in this green pasture that he's provided for me. Perhaps that's what we need most. Rest. Make the better decision when you're rested. You're not yourself when you're tired. You fall for anything. You're more gullible when we're tired. We ruin more relationships because we need a rest. And in that place, God comes to you and says, I've made this pasture for you, and you will sit down. And the next verse says, he restores my soul. You can't have your soul restored until you sit down in the green pasture. So today, what's on your calendar? What's the next thing that you're going, oh, I got to hurry up and get out of here. I wish Brad would shut up. Yeah, what's that thing? What's the thing as you look at your week that you can look at and go, 
can I remove this? Can I swipe on it and say delete? I don't have to do this. It's hard for me to do this, and, and I've been working on it, and I tried it this week, and I was working a lot, and so Thursday came along, and I said, you know what? That's it. Sunday will take care of itself. I got to go get my butt kicked by my kids because they like to wrestle me. There's other things that I need to do. I need to sit down, and Carrie's very good about saying, go take a nap. Sometimes that's the best we can do. So what is preventing you from saying, you know what? That's enough. I need a break. Our pride keeps us from pastures. Our positions that we desire keep us from the pastures. Other people's perspective keeps us from, from experiencing the pastures. And today, my encouragement to you is to forget all of those and put your eyes on your shepherd who says, lay down, take a break. Whether it's a day, which would be awesome, an hour, perhaps it's an hour before everybody gets up in your house and you sit in your chair and you look at the void and you say, okay, God, what is happening before you turn on any light? What is your place of rest? And if you don't have one, what would it look like for you to make one, to incorporate it into your day? Now, it's a time that we have rest. It could be on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It could be any of those days. But when do you turn off? This rest reminds us that the work is done. Grace has been given. It is free, and all we have to do is take it, which is the beauty of Sabbath, and it's the beauty of communion over there. It's the beauty of the cross. The work has been done. Rest in it. Hebrews will say that our peop- that people refuse to enter God's rest for them and they weren't that great because of it. So today, we're going to take this time of quietness. Perhaps it's the only quiet you've had all day, all week, all month. What would it look like to pause? And then, when you're ready, go over there, take communion, and remind yourself that if the God of the universe can rest and stop the very good work for a time, so can I. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. You know how we're built. You know that we're always on the go and, and we need to be re-educated like the people in, in, in Exodus did that it's okay to stop working for a time and take a break. That our minds weren't meant to go like this. If you can rest, so can we. Thank you for making us like you in this way. And so, Lord, as we have this time of quiet, would you speak to us about the places where we need to slow down, the places where we need to stop and experience your rest? Where we need to find your pace instead of the distracted, hurried pace of the world around us. May we rest in you today. And as we rest, may you refocus us to what we're supposed to be doing. It's in your name we pray.